When I finished my master's degree, I had a hundred thousand words written on a story. They were funny, the character was brilliant. It was about a Brazilian belly dancer as in Middle Eastern dancing. She danced professionally in Sydney for 10 years. They were real life stories, so unusual they read like fiction, that I collected over the years. And I had been working on them for six years by that point. I couldn't find the voice though, the narrator didn't solidify, because the story spanned through too many years, the point of view was all over the place. Nothing worked, and after workshopping them to the point of death during the course, my writing voice was mute. I was determined to write that story, force it out no matter what, but ducks are wild animals. Inspiration had other ideas. Welcome to Creative Space Mastery Podcast, the show about how to establish a framework to get your creative practice going, bringing consistent creative productivity. I'm Tanya Crivellenti, an author who has been on the storytelling path for 20 years now, in joy and in chaos, and I'm able to be productive every week. I invite artists and all types of creators out there to hear about a practical process, metaphors and examples in order to achieve creative space mastery. You see, I remember going to a picnic once with my parents and one of my cousins who was living in Australia at the time, she's brilliant, and my sister. All of us traveled together for an adventurous trip through New Zealand. And one day we took sandwiches to eat at a park by a little river over a manicured lawn, sprinkled with flowers and decorated with a bridge. It was picture perfect. We opened our rugs and watched the pretty ducks nearby. We took pictures and we each took a sandwich and opened the pack and our mandibles ready for the bite. The paper crinkled and the sleeping ducks untucked their beaks and looked around. Then several of them looked at us, or better, at our crackling packaged sandwich. They periscoped their necks to that impossible length that ducks' necks seem to achieve when untucked. They aimed those beaks at our sandwiches and their bodies started to follow, waddling and wriggling their funny fluffy bums, with their determined acceleration coming straight to us in our lunches. My family and I thought we were having an idyllic picnic by the water and ended up in belly laughs with ducks waddling around us and over us, stealing our food, screeching in the light and horror. We couldn't even make it fair, dividing it equally so all of them got a piece. We all got our fingers nibbled in the process. My father got up and sat somewhere far with his sandwich. But the three of us women, we ran from the ducks in the end. They ran and flew afterwards until the food was finished. The ducks never lost interest until the food was all gone. I finished lunch hungry, but full with the scene. Our belly hurt from so much laughing. Cheeky, cheeky ducks. That's the image that stays with me. The duck when it's interested in something, the untucking of the beak, unfurling of the neck, periscoping pointing, body following, 
wriggling and waddling in unwavering determination. That is how I see my intuition, my desires, my writing, my inspiration. Opposite to that is a duck that sleeps. If you observe it, it tucks the beak under its wings and it's there to the world. No one will entice it with anything. If it isn't hungry anymore, it won't budge. If it's not interested in you, it won't budge. That is how I know what to pursue and when to give things a rest and let them lie until the duck is hungry for them again. When my inspiration for the most important project of my life dried up, I knew I had to face it. Inspiration is like that. It goes where it wants. When I finished my master's degree and I was determined to write my belly dancing story, my writing voice was gone from me. I had to bring it back. Every time I tried to write, the ducks went to sleep. Except when I started writing something so out there, something no one would ever read or see, and that tickled me pink. A sex story so outrageous, it made me laugh out loud when I started writing it. The ducks came running. When my friend the belly dancer, the muse, freed me from writing the book that wasn't flowing to write the one that was, the ducks took flight. You must pay attention to where your inspiration wants to go, not where you think it should. And much more importantly, not where other people think it should. We often import other voices right into our brains. Sometimes we carry voices of people who aren't even living or are dead to us. Those are the ones that, even if no longer in our lives, still occupy prime space in our dialogues, directing what we do or do not do with our time. Criticizing our actions in our heads with little voices saying things you should like to do, sometimes because generations in your family like that same thing. Guess what? Maybe you simply don't. The best for us is to check with our dad where their necks point you. For what do they get the beak from under the feathers and point? Not into certain directions or career paths, and you were born to shake that tree and revolutionize that world. Revolutionaries, it's in the word, right? A phrase from one of the books from my collection of mini books is at the bottom of the principle I follow. Sit down to write what you have thought and not to think what you shall write. It's from William Cobet. So that is what the duck of inspiration taught me. To follow what I want to write, not I think I should be writing. When I finished my master's, I wrote the sex book. It unlocked my writing voice to be here, to write the books I'm writing now. I'm writing a book, a sort of memoir that is a companion to this podcast about how I establish my creative process. It's full of metaphors with wisdom cards. It's very unusual and with stories that expand this knowledge I'm using here. And there's this dystopian saga I've mentioned before, which is my Lord of the Rings. All that is only possible because I didn't insist on a book that had lost its shine, and I followed inspiration and it gave me so many gifts. Thank you.
from the last episodes, we have determined that for us, creative space is something you establish right now with whatever time you can give it, involving all activities relating to your art. It is recurring, contractual, it is an imperfect process, and it is a protected space for inspiration to come through the middle. In episode 1, we discussed setting a recurring time when you could create. In episode 2, you were to declare to yourself, at least, others if possible, what it is that you truly want, to the point that you know, bravely declaring your passion. In episode 3, we talked about doing what you will be doing in the time you have set up and doing it seriously, professionally. Now, it's your turn to go within and follow the true voice inside. Who is the neck of your duck pointing to? What are the ideas that make you want to follow? What do the inner voices tell you that you should be doing? Now, be careful with the word should. We can talk about the difference in the concepts of necessities and desires for days. It takes a while for anyone to be able to grasp that each moment in life is a choice and most of us, from when we are adults in normal circumstances, aren't victims of life. We navigate most of our lives thinking we're doing things because we think they should be done, not because we want to do them. Unless you have gone through the shift of learning to understand the separation between shoulds and wants, you will have difficulty to know how to follow your desires, not the necessities. To further your knowledge, search for the philosophical works of arts of The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F by Mark Munson, or more seriously, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brittany Brown, or the article Stop Shooting All Over Yourself by Susan David at the Business Harvard Review. I have concluded that in a terrible situation where someone puts a gun to your head, you would have two choices, to die or to live with the consequences of what that person is asking you to do. Now, that's a story, right? Hopefully, what most of us are being asked to choose on a day-to-day -day basis is less dramatic. Get to work or live under a bridge. I'm a writer. Please allow me some drama. What is it we would like to do with the life we were given to live? The gift of breathing with the abilities we have and what to do with the entanglements and obligations we have set up for ourselves, consciously and unconsciously. I was watching a TV show where union leaders at the end of the 19th century were fighting for the right of workers to work 888. Eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep, and eight hours to do whatever they wanted. We take so much for granted with our new hybrid work schemes and talks of four-day work weeks. At the time, workers regularly endure six, 12 to 14-hour days per week, all year round. I don't even know if they had leave or holidays, definitely no sick leave, and the safety conditions were atrocious. And a lot of people in the world still face strenuous working conditions. We have so much to choose from. What to do with the hours when we are not asleep, not at work. And if we are working those hours, if we want to keep working routines in a world that doesn't for the most part. There is a lot that can be achieved there. Can we make changes in our lives into a more creative space? That's where the gold lies. 
And the thing is, if this thing you want to create is your passion, you don't have to make yourself do it. It happens naturally. You will do because you love it, because it's something you will be looking forward to do. It will feel like the best part of your day or your week. It's when you will feel fully alive. When my writing voice went mute, it was because I had received so much external contribution, I couldn't find my own internal narrator anymore. Being a second languager meant that people were constantly pointing out cultural differences, grammar mistakes, language improvements, and everything they thought could be improved. Positive criticism is at the core of learning, but four years of it left me with a subdued writing self who didn't know what was cultural flavor or style, what could be my strength and uniqueness, and what was simply incomprehensible to be written in English, and what was my very own way of doing so. Even when I was receiving a lot of criticism, I learned so much during the master's program, I absorbed so much of the technique and specific knowledge of writing structure. While I knew that some of what was being said was not valid, because some people were criticizing without comprehending the ability of importing some aspects of another language structure into English writing. When I thought I was getting there during the last semester of the course, I got a feedback that there was a long way to go in my writing style. And that almost broke me. That day, I almost gave up. I cried for a week. Why, I ask myself and my dogs, do I want to write in English? I don't know. Some stories come to me in Portuguese and some in English, depending on the cultural flavor they come with. My dogs are Australian inspiration, knows why. When I started writing the fun book, it was so out there that it took me completely out of the sphere of criticism and evaluation and the comfort zone. Even the fictitious voices of my peers and teachers inside my head couldn't touch it, because they simply wouldn't. They were a literary bunch, they wouldn't get anywhere close to a porno. And my dogs, my narrator, got stronger by the word, by the phrase, by the page. I recovered my style, my confidence, my writing voice. Recently, I sent this book to be reviewed by an Australian professional freelance editor. Surprisingly, not only she enjoyed the story, she raved about the writing. She's a first languager and someone I trust to know what she's talking about. This means I'm fully recovered in my writing, thanks to the ability of muting the outside voices instead of my inner one and following my ducks of inspiration. What is it you want to do with your creative time? Your own authentic voice, free of obligations and demands? When you put to bed all the other voices in your head and silence the gun-yielding maniacs, what are you left with? What is it that your creative self is claiming for? You aren't asking for much, not to drop everything or to become a hermit to go live for a hundred years on top of a snowy mountain. You are asking for some recurring creative time 
And only during those times you are allowing yourself free reign to do what is truly heart talk. What does heart want? What are the things you could do that are so out there, maybe crazy, that people you know, voices in your head, couldn't even place judgment because they know nothing about it? Remember the things you love talking about at the end of a dinner party? Sometimes things start as a joke, as a secret, and something you never expected to become something. And because the ducks of inspirations are behind you, Everything takes flight. Remember too that whoever assigns families out there in the ether before we are born seems to have a twisted sense of humor. You see, children of engineers often want to be artists. Children of hippies want to be money-grabbing economists. Spoons of economists are bound to the hippie camper van. Blue-collar parents are doomed to have white-collar aspiring children and vice versa. You got the drift. We spend our lives trying to prove ourselves to our families, sometimes trying to spare them the suffering of us being us or having our ducks. Sometimes you are trying to get some success out of your creativity just to prove that you aren't that crazy just a little bit. In truth, the world seems to be designed for chaos. No family has the family members they exactly desire. They have ducks. And everyone has to deal with it and with their own emotions. For our creativity, we have to be responsible for only our own emotions and not try to prove anything to anyone. Just observing what makes us come alive during our creative time. Be kind to yourself and allow yourself to explore possibilities Try new things, go for it. The things you have never gone for before. Do things you have never dared to try. With reason, obviously. Nothing that will harm anyone. I mean, dare to try new artistic methods. Start a new practice. That thing that fills you with a little bit of fear. Even that people will laugh at you. You know, rarely they will. And to hell with them if they do. They are the ridiculous ones, the ones who laugh. And they are frustrated or too afraid to try them themselves. That's why they're laughing. I often welcome new dancers to the dance floor as a Latin dancer. I feel their clammy hands and their stiff bodies. And I tell them no one of the people on the dance floor were born knowing how to dance. Not even one. They all had to face their fears and keep going, do classes, and be bad before they became any good in order to get to any level of mastery. Face your fears, it's worth it. If you fear something you want to do, it is a great sign. It means it, it's enough of a challenge to make it interesting. Feel for where your ducks of inspiration are pointing you to go and follow their wild instructions. Thank you for listening to Creative Space Mastery Podcast. You will find all about this discussion at creativespacemastery.com and hope to catch you at my next episode. If you like it, give the show some stars, write a review and share it with someone who could enjoy it. See you next time. Ciao!